0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Wisden Cricket Weekly podcast. Another action-packed and eventful week in the world of cricket. MS Dhoni rolled back the years as he won the player of the series award in India's ODI series win over Australia. Safraz Ahmed is in trouble for alleged racist remarks towards South Africa's Andile Filiquayo, and the first ball of the England West Indies series has just been delivered in Barbados. I'm Yaz Rana, and I'm joined by the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. Issue 16 is officially out tomorrow, and for the first time, esteemed football writer, author, and the queen cricketer himself, who's toured India and the Vatican City, Jonathan Wilson. Great to have you on, Jonathan. What's it like playing cricket in the Vatican, India, Sri Lanka, you said you've been to as well?
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, um, yeah, stuff you see on telly and then you're, you're suddenly there. And you know, in, in, in India, we played in the Braven, which is where the first test in India was ever played. 26 not out, if anybody's uh, <laughs> counting. And I, I took one for five that day. Wilson's match, they they didn't call it because <laughs> lost my eight wickets. <laughs> um, what do you bowl? A terrible off-spin. Uh But the Vatican... Um, I mean that was a great experience, but I didn't have a <laughs> didn't have a great game personally. But uh, yeah, came on the ball uh, with them about about 80 for two or something after ten overs. And uh, first ball worked with leg side for two. Second ball did him in the flight. A bloke who'd been captain of City second, so I played for briefly in '99. Caught and bowled. Thanks very much. Third ball, like I said, did him in the flight. Really terrible slow full toss. Skied, running backwards. Chance for and Bold, fall over, bang my head, concussed, and then you realise you can't beat the Vatican because God works in mysterious ways <laughs> and will stop you taking wickets.
2: And this is for the author's eleven, Jonathan. Is it? This that's is... for the authors. Yeah, yeah. But I
1: also play for Hutton in in the Essex League, um, Hutton fifths, Let's be honest about it. <laughs> uh, and for the Rainmen and for the Sunday Times and anybody else who wants to uh, wants to have somebody batting very slowly and bowling very very bad off breaks.
2: There we go, an early bid for some more cricket. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. If you're unaware of Jonathan's work, he's famous for his uh, writing on football and football tactics in particular. You've literally written books on it um, and you've got an impressive memory for detail. Um, and that was kind of reflected in what you wrote in the most recent edition of Wisden Cricket Monthly. You wrote about your favourite ever cricket innings and you picked Liam Plunkett's 30 not out of 35 balls for Durham.
1: Why? Yeah, I have to say, it felt quicker than that at the time. <laughs> um, well, I think... I think if you, when you, when you get asked to do that, something like that, you can interpret "favorite" in two ways. You can interpret it as best, but I think that's actually slightly boring. That what what's I mean, clearly Plunkett scoring thirty nine off thirty five balls is in no sense the best innings of all time, but it, it, it was particularly meaningful um, in that it came immediately after an England West Indies test at, at Chelsea Street. So this was the semi final of the C and G in two thousand and six. So I've been. I'm from Sunderland. I'm at, you know, Durham is my my county, um, and I, you know I was up there covering the test. I was finishing a book about Sunderland at the time, so I was getting up at four in the morning to to finish the book. Um, normally I'd have stayed with my parents in Sunderland, but they they were away, so I was staying in a hotel in Durham, which is quite weird. Staying in a hotel somewhere that's essentially, you know, not quite my hometown, but very near my hometown. Mm. Um, there's loads of weird things happened during that week. So I uh, probably can't get into too many details, but it was a very strange um, incident in the early hours of the morning. When I, it turned out I was I was in the room next door to Ryan Sidebottom, who I think think took a fife in that test, um, and it turned out Viv Richards was in the room over the corridor from me, right. and Viv Richards came in in the early hours and um, was not quiet, shall we say, right. <laughs> about going to bed.
2: Read between the lines there,
1: um, and yeah, you know, <laughs> I remember kind of. Looking along the corridor and seeing Ryan Sidebottom's head poking out the door and looking back at me, and sort of Biv Richards sort of struggling with his door key in between us. <laughs> um, and it was a moment when Ian Bell thought he recognised me and waved at me, and then realised his embarrassment. He didn't know who I was. Who did he th- you think you I have no idea, but he was on the phone in the lobby of the hotel and sort of waves at me, and I was why is Ian Bell waving at me? <laughs> Um, and yeah, to, sitting down to breakfast with Billy Bowden at the next table is, is kind of quite odd when you're not used to that kind of. Because I mean, you know, in football, you never get that close to, to you know, to to. I was about to say your heroes, Billy Bowden's not, you know, <laughs> but to, yeah, to to proper people. Um, so the whole thing was quite weird.
0: So it was more the occasion, it was occasion and, and, the, and, and, then, and the day and
1: then, sorry, itself. Then, yeah, Durham were. Uh, I, I suppose I, I, I'd sort of. Uh, I was. I, I was sort of. Uh, don't, don't sign this too, make this sound too profound, but I was I was realizing about my relationship with the North East having lived away for at that point uh, seven years and going back as a kind of tourist was quite odd. Um, and yeah, Durham had never been in a major final, uh, and they bowled Essex out for was it 70 or 71? I can't remember, but yeah, very, very cheaply, yeah. And you sort of thought this is a doddle, uh, and then they find themselves thirty or thirty one for seven and you think, I actually managed to mess this up. And then Plunker came in and in his first over, smacked a six off a free hit and suddenly all the pressure was off. And you know, I, if you'd asked me before I wrote the piece, I'd have said that thirty nine out was off about fifteen balls. But it turns out it took thirty five balls. <laughs> but you know, the game's changed since then. <laughs>
2: I was glad you interpreted the feature that way because it is called my favourite innings. That, that is the point. It's meant to be something that's quite personal to you. I think that is the closest definition to cameo we've had so far of, uh, of, all, our, of all our knocks.
1: Well, I mean, can you say cameo? But, you know, 30 out of 71 or whatever it turned out being that's nearly half. That is.
2: That <laughs> He's <laughs> nearly
0: Bannerman.
1: That that is
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, let's crack on with our
0: respective moments of the week. Uh, Joe, what's yours?
2: Um, so mine was a Twitter exchange between Kevin Peterson and Essex Seamer Jamie Porter uh, yesterday.
0: That has since been deleted.
2: This, well, uh, Port has deleted his tweets. Yeah. I think Peterson has kept his up. I mean, these Twitter things are generally not not worth spending too much time on, but I thought this had it was quite revealing about Peterson's attitude towards county cricket and perhaps Peterson's attitude just in general these days. He's increasingly reminiscent of his of his mate Piers Morgan with lots of rants, uh, quick to tear in onto pieces, mm. who doesn't agree with his own point of view. Uh, he's doing some great stuff on rhino uh, conservation, which is brilliant, but in amongst that, there's some not particularly pleasant stuff. So to go through this exchange, it started with um, Peterson criticising Pakistan's batsmen for repeatedly getting out to the short ball in their series against South Africa. Fair enough, he's a pundit. Then he calls them weak and pathetic, which to me is, from a fellow pro, is is, is too much.
0: Can you imagine his reaction as a player if somebody called him weak and pathetic? Well, exactly,
2: exactly. And I assume that's what Jamie Porter took Umbridge with, as he responded to Peterson by pointing out some of his frailties against left arm spin over the years, which you can imagine didn't go down particularly well. So Peterson's response was, big difference between a technical flaw and a mental flaw. But you'd know because you play for Essex. And if playing for Essex is living the dream, which is how Porter refers to himself in in his bio, then F me, I've got it real wrong. (laughs) And Porter, I thought response was quite quite measured, uh, said, just because you look down on county cricket doesn't mean it doesn't mean a lot to the blokes playing it but guess you don't see past your own shadow. Which I was, was a really nice, yeah. nice line. Disappointingly, Porter deleted his tweets, obviously thinking, thinking better of it. But I thought there was, I thought there was, yeah, something to take from this. In that during the ECB Peterson saga, I pretty much fell on Peterson's side, really, in that I thought he was badly treated, and the the accusations of wrongdoing seemed fairly minimal in a in a kind of dressing room with some big reputations and some big personalities. But the more I've heard from Peterson over the years, the more sympathy I have for people who did have to share a dressing room with him for years. And I think there is obviously the way he can be so scornful and sneer at county cricket, which actually in many ways made him. He wasn't that much of a cricketer when he came over here, or at least hadn't fulfilled his potential. To be so short-sighted not to, to see that and to dismiss a county cricketer on the basis that he is a county cricketer in the way he did with Porter, who's a bloody good one at that. Uh I thought was quite revealing about what Peterson has become, uh which is a shame because as cricketers go, I, he's been one of my heroes. As blokes, not so much really.
1: I think that's an interesting point um about you know, your 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 sense that, that he was harshly treated. Uh and yeah, I'm not gonna reopen all that, don't <laughs> worry. But I do think there's something kind of quite strange goes on when you actually see a list of you know the supposed offences. I'm not specifically talking about Pearson here. I think you get the same thing with um, with sports people who accuse their coaches of bullying, and you read this thing. Is that it? Like, but actually, if you put it in context, and it's that repeated with whatever tone of voice, whatever look, whatever sort of shrug of the shoulders, it's very hard from the outside to judge what you know, what that actually was like. Yeah, because um, I, I, I ended up kind of concluding you know, the opposite to your initial reaction, which was he probably was a total pain, and if that's detracting from everybody else, well, he has to be sacrificed. Well, even
0: Graham Norton clocked that Ken Peterson's quite a hard man to get on with. When Peterson was on the Graham Norton show a few years ago, uh, Norton said to him, uh, maybe team sport's not for you. <laughs> it was a great line, and also I'm guessing that Norton isn't a massive cricket fan. He's and cricket that... a team sport yeah, well, Graham like... Norton hit
2: on another <laughs> You're absolutely right on those things. I mean, when they were listed, looking out the window, whistling, they all sound ridiculous. And it fed into the narrative of the ECB being kind of massively over the top on this issue. But I can, I can, I can start to sympathise, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jamie Porter actually uh, has done very well. He's currently on uh, an England Lions tour to India. He took 5.36 in the first game there, uh, was quite economical in the second game. Uh, which was today. Billing scored an unbeaten tonne in a losing cause for the England Lions against a very strong India A-side that featured five internationals, including Ajinkia Rahane. Uh, that should be quite a good series. Lots of hot young prospects uh, in the England Lions squad. Uh, Jonathan, what's your moment of the week?
1: Um, India's win today, very comfortable win over New Zealand. Um, you know, the, the the biggest difficulty they seem to have was, have was the, the fact the pitch has been laid east to west in Napier, so they had to go off for the setting sun, which seems an extraordinary mistake to have made by or you know, extraordinary situation for modern cricket to be in. But um you yeah, with the World Cup coming up, I sort of thought New Zealand would pose a much tougher test to them than Australia did. I thought conditions in New Zealand being at least roughly analogous to England, I thought that would be a, a good test to them. And you yeah, know, I think we saw last summer that India don't have the problems in English conditions they used to. I know it was four one, the the test series and then the you know the ODIs and, and the T twenty were were shared pretty much when it was they're both T one, Yeah. the T twenty is India one in, in England on the ODIs. Um, but yeah, the 4 one in the Test seat, I don't think it was I don't think it really reflected the, the the difference between the teams. Yeah, it was only really at Lords when India struggled with the conditions, but they were they were odd conditions. You know, they were they were particularly damp and difficult and streaming conditions. And then it turns out they absolutely smashed New Zealand. So Mohammed Chami bowling very well. Yeah, three wickets for him, um, three for nineteen, I think he took. So. Yeah, I think the signs for India heading into the World Cup are incredibly positive. I think Kane,
0: Williams said, <clears throat> Kane Williamson said that they kind of misread the pitch, that they were batting as if it was a 300-plus pass score when in actual fact 250 would have done there. Um, yeah, I was pretty surprised as well with um, how New Zealand did. I thought New Zealand, New Zealand had a great 2018. Um, and also India, I don't think, despite their 2-1 win in Australia, I don't think they did that well there. Australia were missing a lot of key players that will definitely be in their World Cup team. Australia have like won uh just three of their last twenty-two completed ODIs going into that series. Um and they made uh, a real meal out of I think quite easy chases um for a team that's aspiring to be World Cup champions. Um oh yeah I've I've written something on this. I don't think MS Dhoni should be in that India World Cup you won't squad. You not stop
2: laying into him will you Yaz? Yeah. Well
0: I think the, <laughs> I think that third ODI where they uh chased two hundred and thirty odd uh with seven wickets in hand but only still did that in the last over. Um, you know, that that's not a good run chase it's innings. a time chase well,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>, well, exactly. <laughs>
1: You've paid your match for you get yourself out of the
2: middle. <laughs> there was a stat on, on your piece that uh, yeah, that you pulled out from Crickviz, which I think was since the 2015 World Cup, if Dony D- faces more than 20 balls, India win 50% of the time. If he doesn't, India win 73% of the time, which sounds like a quite a compelling stat. Obviously, there was the impact of how well the top order do, which could skew that slightly, I guess. Uh, but the the thing is, however many stats you throw at this, when it comes to a World Cup final, World Cup semi final, and India needs to, India needs someone to see them home. Do you not? Do you not want Donny there if you're if no. you're an Indian? No, because in I world... don't want him there because yeah. I'm an England fan. So I. Start...
0: So as an England fan, I'd really want him there because in a World Cup semi final final, I think it's unlikely that you're going to be chasing under three hundred. You're going to be chasing something over three hundred in the in twenty eighteen. Donny had an average run rate of 4.28 runs and over, which was the lowest of any batsman who scored 250 runs for a team that automatically qualified for the World Cup. Chasing 230 against a team with like 25 ODI caps between the bowlers isn't really what you're going to come up against in the World Cup. Um, and they've got other batsmen waiting on the wings who are who are very good. And also, India don't have the longest tail. And what if Dhoni gets out halfway through that innings that he's building? He's putting so much pressure. Uh, on a lower order that doesn't bat nearly as long as a team like England. Do you
1: think there's a bit of a um, Charlotte Edwards situation going on here? That the scores look good, but they're, they're not quite quick enough. And that, that is putting pressure on everybody else. And
2: Madali Raj, the Indian women's captain, had the same thing in the World Team 20. Mm. Lost her place, even though her average was great. Yeah. She was scoring the runs. They weren't coming at the rate they wanted. I, I absolutely see that. I think with Dhoni, they've got to be more flexible with him than they have been in the past. Mm. They've got to realise that he's not necessarily the, the star that he was. I still think when you come down to those chases, that experience counts for a hell of a lot. The, a lot of these games are fairly in, inconsequential that mm. that, that um, contribute to those stats, and he's misjudged. I think what's been more surprising is he's, he's misjudged chases quite badly, and I'm not sure if that's due to just poor form. I mean, there was the classic one in England last last summer, it wasn't got there? Booed at, got, at Lords, yeah. But I just don't see him doing that in a in a World Cup semi final or a World Cup final. I don't think he's going to misjudge it that badly and he he's done it before. I think it'd be interesting to know what Cody gets Cody gets what he wants basically in Indian cricket mm. across the board. Uh if he still wants Dhoni in that side then he'll be there. Uh and I think he's yeah he still has quite a lot to offer really.
0: Yeah, I think I've probably talked and written a bit too much about Donny so let's move on. Um, My moment of the week is admittedly quite niche. Um, So Ireland's second string side, the Island Wolves, nearly beat Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka. So four of their batters passed 70, none of them got 100 as they posted 508 in the first innings. They bowled the Sri Lankans out for 303, enforced the follow-on before a chap called Pathum Nisanka scored a double ton to save his team. Nasanka, by the way, is one to watch. He's only 20, averages 65 in first class cricket and has two double hundreds and a 160 in his last five games. Um, Anyway, Sri Lanka then set Ireland 260 to win and Ireland were 90 for three at the end of the match. They conceivably could have won. They could have lost that game uh, if there was another day. But either way, it was a great result. They were playing in alien conditions as an inexperienced Ireland side. Uh, they got thrashed in their opening game of the series and some people have said that they're undeserving of test status, that they were over-reliant on a freak golden generation that uh, they're in their in their late 30s. Um, but it shows that they've actually got a genuine strength and depth and they've got a number of players uh, coming through and it bodes well for the future. As yeah, as I said earlier, a lot of their players who've got them and won them test status are uh, coming towards the end of their careers. Moving on, West Indies are 16 for none in the first test match of England series in the Caribbean. Um, England have named their 11, obviously, because the test has started. Adi Rashid and Sam Curran are in it, leaving out, perhaps controversially, Jack Leach and Stuart Broad. What are you guys' thoughts on that?
2: Um, Well, I wrote a piece for the website, wisdom.com, a couple of days ago saying that I thought Broad probably would miss out in this match. Um, I think basically, for me, it came down to you pick him or Curran and... Current at the moment is just got that kind of X factor. You can't you can't really drop him. Seven wins from seven so far. But my point of the piece wasn't actually that Broad should be not in the side. Although I agree with the decision, is more that I still think he's got a massive part to play. And there will be people saying, well, this is perhaps the the beginning of the end for Broad. But I think when you start the Ashes next summer, uh, I think he'll be straight back in that team. He also he bowled well when he came back in in Sri Lanka for that third test. So I don't think the fact he's been dropped is perhaps indicative of a slight decline in his career but I think it's more to do with the amount of options that England have in the conditions they've been playing in uh, so I think he's yeah still got a massive part to play
1: well, plus it's just the fact that Cohen's left handed and swings it so he's mm. a different type of bowler you're not, yeah. you're not replicating you're not, you know, it's not just another right arm seamer so uh, I don't know I, I, the word dropped has begun to trouble me um, mainly because it seems to, 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 to trouble other people but um, I know, you know we're going to go on to talk about what football can learn from cricket in terms of stats and, and punditry but i think something where where cricket can really and it's beginning to learn from football is the idea of a set 11 really should have no place mm. and, and particularly in cricket when the conditions change so so radically and I, I i really don't have a have a problem with having a squad of 16 18 whatever and you 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 pick the players a in form and b b for conditions so cohen is in great form and um you know it, it, it's it means that the workload for, for for those first those frontline bowlers is is going to be reduced, which has got to be a good thing. I think picking Rashid's interesting mm. in that my yeah you know, my um, my impression was that England would always go for a more conservative option. They go for your Rashid would only be used as a second spinner, and Leach you know, gives you more control. But I think it's good they've gone for the greater attacking options that Rashid gives you.
0: I guess comparing. Uh, cricket selections, football selections. In cricket, a game takes five days. You know, you have a two-month build-up for a tour. In football, you got a game every three days. Sure, less. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I think um, in this specific example, though, what, do you think that England have been right to leave out Broad? So the current attack is Anderson, Curran, Stokes, Rashid, Moine. Have I left anyone out? No, no no you got root to bowl a bit as well but that's
2: the that's the 5 yeah which
0: which um they're all uh, obviously fantastic bowlers wicket taking options but if it's a really flat pitch you do worry that those guys aren't you, you can't really rely on all of them to bowl long spells and i feel that particularly anderson coming towards the end of his career is the only one there you can really properly rely on to hold up an end which i'd be quite concerned with
1: sure but equally if it is a really flat pitch, having the leg spinner gives you that many more options to take wickets. So. Yeah,
2: true. And I think how well Stokes bowled in Sri Lanka, having not necessarily yeah. bowled that well since he came back from from his ban, uh, I think would have encouraged this pick as well because you'd need fewer overs out of Curran. I think I think that would have come into it. And lower order batting has been so crucial for. Mm. So his current he's current batting at nine in this lineup. Is that right? Yeah. So you'd think choosing a bat the better batter to bat a nine is not necessary, but actually when it's Sam Curran. I think that. that is... And
1: when England's top three or four, are as flimsy as they are. <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly. So I think that will have come into the equation as well. And also, Broad's batting now has become a bit of a farce, really, if you think how good he was a few years mm. ago. Uh, you can't rely on him for runs at all these days.
0: Yeah. Um, Australia have named their 11 for their test against Sri Lanka. Um, two debutants there, Curtis Patterson and Joy Richardson. Um, Patterson has basically got in the team on the back of scoring 200s against Sri Lanka in a warm up game. Uh, he wasn't included in the initial squad, but those 200s have got him in. Um, you can understand why. And Jai Richardson, um, I mean, he got Coley out three out of three times in the ODI series. He looked he which just, well in the yeah, series, though. good, not he? Yeah. Um, big series for Australia, having lost at home. Um, Shrank are a decent side. We talked about it a few pods ago, that they've actually got a pretty, pretty strong uh, top seven. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Interestingly, Australia have named two more vice-captains um, they are Travis Head and Pat Cummins, which by my reckoning means that they've had nine captains or vice-captains across all formats in the last year. Jonathan and Joe, can you name them?
2: Oh, God. Okay, Smith, Warner. Finch. Yeah. Lyon? I don't think so. Lyon was
1: never vice-captain. What's he done wrong? <laughs> he, does,
2: he does the team song. He can't have <laughs> too many responsibilities. Uh, Mitch Marsh?
0: Yeah.
2: So he's a Wood vice-captain for... Yeah, he was a
0: co-vice-captain.
2: Um, and the keeper, carry.
0: Yeah, that's the, that was the tricky one, I think. Stark? Nope. How many have we done? I think you've done six. Uh, you've not got... Well, you've got Travis Head, who's in it now. Have you said? Oh, Cummins. Yeah, Cummins now. And there should be one more. Um, Warner, Smith, Kerry... Oh, you said Payne. You've not said Payne. No, OK. <laughs> Pain. <it>. okay <laughs> captain. Nine. Yeah, like Right. Here you got nine. That's crazy, isn't it?
1: Nine players to be a captain. Or it's a reminiscent captain of uh, England in <laughs> yeah, their anti-heyday, isn't it? Really? Is, heyday, it really, isn't is. it? really is.
0: Yeah, that's extraordinary.
1: Oh, it, was a, it was a quiz question last night. The quiz in this very ground. Oh, the night, Watchman it, quiz? Yeah, it? it was in, in the summer of 88 when England had the four captains, who were the second and fourth.
2: Uh was
1: third. Oh. <laughs> Which actually you can work Embry. out. Embry. Embry was second, yeah. So it started with Gatting. Gooch. And Gooch finished it off, yeah. And we we went annoyingly we went for cairdry and
2: lamb. Mm. One quiz leading into another. Yeah. <laughs> it, eh?
0: Um. Yeah, Jonathan, as you alluded to, we talk a little bit about the comparison between punditry and analysis in cricket and football. Um. Yeah. So Gary Neville wrote in the first issue of Wisden Cricket Monthly um, about how well, I'll get the quote up actually. So he said the detail in cricket punditry is unbelievable. The conversation, the analysis, the detail now is incredible in cricket. It's a joy to listen to Warren, Lloyd, H- Hussein, Atherton, Botham, Holding, talking about the stories of old, mixing with the stories of new, some anecdotes, the crowd. You trust them. Growing up, you think of listening to Richie Beno, the voice that gives you the feeling of watching a big test match. I guess it, one major difference is obviously the time in cricket, punchy well, analysis. That,
1: that, yeah, that, that obviously in football, you've got two halves of 45 minutes. So it's going to take you at least half an hour to get any kind of stats yeah. that mean anything um whereas you know cricket you can be looking back over two or three days with an action so yeah i think the time means it's always going to be slightly different even even in the breaks fact the football you know 15 minute half time but with adverts but you've got, like, yeah. yeah at least two ad breaks maybe yeah. three in that spell so you've got probably 8 minutes 7 8 minutes and in that you've got to say look he scored here's the goal here's the goal from another angle here's the goal from another angle and then you know a penalty or whatever so realistically in game analysis you're probably down to a minute, two minutes. Um, so I, I think that's probably almost impossible to replicate. But yeah, you know, what Gary Neville does on a Monday night mm. when he has that hour-long, mm. oh yeah, you know, it works out about thirty to forty minutes before the the live game on a Monday night. Um, I think there's no, yeah, I think that clearly has followed cricket's lead. I, I guess the other slight difference is that. Uh, a cricket audience, I think, is almost necessarily a specialist audience. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're choosing to watch cricket, you chance are you probably already like cricket. Whereas something like Match of the Day is willfully catering to a much broader crowd, you know, the, the casual football fan. And I think Match of the Day has improved its analysis a lot.
0: Yeah, I was going to say as well. that. Um, I just remember my my memory of watching Match of the Day is Alan Shearer complimenting a striker for moving into space, and then Alan Hansen saying that the defender. Was wrong to leave the space for the striker. Yeah, and that, uh, that, that, that the has got, got a lot
1: better. Now yeah. has, has improved a lot, but, but you're never on match a day going to have you know 20 minutes going through stats and and heat maps and whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, a, there's 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 differences there, and there's also just stats are different. But um, the fact that cricket is is made up of a series of discrete events makes it much easier to, to record. You know what you're recording. Whereas football is so fluid and so chaotic I'm not saying it's impossible. And I think we, we have moved on in football to, towards getting more meaningful stats. Um, but it, it, it's still slightly, slightly different. And I don't know. I don't know if you have this in cricket. I haven't been as aware of it. But then you know, I'm not a sort of a embedded in in, in in cricket as I'm in football. That um, in football there's this really strange sort of civil war going on between the football men, the proper football men, the proper football men on the one side, and the stats geeks on the other side and it just seems to me a, a really bizarre conflict yeah. because the fact is that the stats are really useful in terms of confirming what you think you've seen challenging what you think you've seen um giving you an idea of something that you haven't seen um so in, in all those ways the stats can be used but you have to use them in in a, in, in context and you have to kind of be aware of um your why something might be happening. So, you know, when, when people first start recording possession stats, or first start taking them seriously when Guardiola's Barcelona were, were, were winning everything, I said, oh, look, they had 72% possession, that's amazing. Well, yeah, it was amazing, but then you saw other teams have 70% possession who weren't amazing, so why? And that, that's where the stats are, are useful, yeah. to, to sort of to inform the debate. But you do, unfortunately, get people who seem to think that the stats almost give you a truer picture of what's happening on the pitch. And they, they take all the all sort of emotion and it was a long debate. And I know this, this uh, was an argument that came from, from um, basketball analysis in, in the States. Uh, in basketball, they have a thing called, called the hot hands. Like you're in form and you feel like you can't miss. And anybody who's played any sport at any level knows that there are days when you think you can do anything you're standing at slip and you're willing the edge to come because you know you're going to catch it because your instincts feel your your, your your reflexes feel perfect your hands feel warm and soft and there's days when you're hiding from the ball because you think I'm not going to catch anything I've got two frying pans here mm-hmm. and that feeling comes from somewhere and it means something because if you have that feeling that you can't catch it you're not going to catch it uh, or you know, if you're forward going through on goal sometimes you think I'm just going to score here I'm 25 it doesn't matter it's, today's my day Bang goal, and there's days when you can get it two yards out, and somehow you can't nudge it over the line, and yet the stats people for a long time said, you know, this is this doesn't this doesn't happen. This is is just good players and bad players, and good players have the you know, have the good days more often. But you know, you, you you feel it, and 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 so now the stats have become more sophisticated. So actually, it does seem to be kind of confidence does seem to play a part, but. Uh, the fact that it took sort ten years of arguing to get to that point, I think, is just odd. When if the, 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 the two things <coughs> have worked together from the start, you'd have said, but it's, it's obvious that if you're confident, you will see things better." That's uh, why we have sports psychologists, yeah. right?
2: I don't actually the, the friction you talk about between the kind of statsmen and the football men, I I don't really see that in cricket in the same way. I certainly don't feel it as a cricket writer myself. And I think I think it's partly two reasons for that. I think first of all, I think stats are more embedded in cricket. Initially, so people are more open-minded to expanding those stats that you're looking at. So I think that's one point. I think also there's so much time to fill in cricket <laughs> that everyone who talks about it or writes about it is quite glad well, for more I, I material guess the, to The idea to work of it. a batting average or a bowling average has existed since cricket began. Exactly. But, exactly. And, but, and I guess
1: even even that is a great example that just because you're averaging sixty with a bat doesn't mean you're better than somebody averaging fifty-five with a bat because you might be you're batting on on better pitches, you might be batting into worse bowlers, yeah. you might be batting higher up the order. Yeah, you, know, you you might be batting in where your job is just to hold the game up rather than to yeah you know, to to be chasing something. So yeah, you know, the, the context I think is always key. Um,
0: but I compare averages to like how many like your goal per game ratio. I don't think it's a particularly sophisticated stat, and the um, and the opposition that stats men in football have is against stuff like expected goals, things that are quite new. And I don't think that cricket's actually quite got to that point yet. So like things that crickets have like the expected wickets, that's not really gotten to the mainstream yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when people will start to oppose it because you can't really argue with somebody's batting average in the same way. You can't really argue against somebody's goals record. You can think of factors why it be, might be higher than it would ordinarily or should be. But, um, at the really high-level stats, I don't think, has really come into cricket it, as it has it, done the, in football. The equivalent
1: of expected goals would be um, you know, sort of the a predicted total in an ODI or, or you know, the, the win percentage thing you get. And mm. um, there has been some kickback against that, but I mean, nothing like like there has been in football.
2: No, and I think that there's just people are perhaps more open to debate. And I know that certainly the Sky broadcasters, I know from Crickviz, that when they were initially kind of selling their wares. There was quite a bit of opposition, particularly from the former players who know a certain way to play the game and watch the game and understand the game. But I think over time they realise even if they don't agree with this stuff, they're still very grateful to have it because it creates a talking yeah. point and a focus of debate. Well, I think the debate with,
1: with expected goals, I guess even, so, you know, Douglas Lewis falls in almost the same category. As soon as you introduce an algorithm, then you're relying on the algorithm being accurate. And given the algorithm is A, normally secret... And B, even if it weren't secret, is realistically beyond the kind of understanding of ninety nine point nine percent of people looking at so, it. Um and that that's what I mean in football that worries me about expected goals. I, I see the point. I see that shots on goal gives you a very rough picture, and expected goals is a much more sophisticated picture. But I don't understand enough to know how those algorithms are put together. And it's still just a bloke putting together an algorithm. It's yeah. not some higher truth. It's a slightly more sophisticated stat than shots on target. Yeah.
0: Um you were in a slightly separate you were talking about how uh the cricket and football world cups for very different reasons have got it all wrong. Do so, you to know, elaborate a bit on that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean I have to say I'm I'm looking forward to the cricket world cup this summer for for two reasons, by three reasons partly because it's the cricket world cup and is therefore a great thing.
2: Really Se- long secondly long world because world I think
1: England have a reasonable chance of winning it. And thirdly actually the the, the biggest reason is because it means loads of counties are going to have to play outgrounds they haven't played that for 40 years. And I'm really looking forward to kind of going to Mansfield, and um, the Isle of Wight, to watch cricket. Or
0: playing at counties, at, um, the, in, uh, playing in other counties. So Warwickshire are playing a game at New Road instead okay. of playing in outground, Essex, aren't which, aren't is, which are, is quite controversial. Yeah. It must be a, a cricket ground in Warwickshire that could do with hosting a Div 1 county championship game.
1: I'd mean, love, you know, my great relaxation is sort of going to a day of county cricket. I went to the Scarborough Festival for two days last year. And that, that was brilliant. Scalp Festival was a fantastic event. I mean, the weather was perfect and Moeen scored hundreds of runs and took hundreds of wickets. And it was, yeah, I don't care who wins between Yorkshire and <laughs> Worcestershire. So just watching Moeen being brilliant while getting slowly drunk under nice, warm, sunny skies was... Well, Mo- we like was the game. Yeah.
0: Moeen wasn't getting slowly
1: drunk, was he? No, no, no. <laughs> not 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 that
0: I was aware of. <laughs> um
1: um and you're know, eating your fish and chips on the cliff top and everything. So I'm really, yeah, I'm really looking forward to going to three or four grounds I haven't been to. But anyway, so that wasn't what we were talking about. The, <laughs> the, 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 but the also you know the cricket World Cup. Were I a journalist covering it, uh, and or were I, I guess a player playing in it. I think it would fill me with dread. Cause it's just so long. And even as a as a fan, by the time you get into week six or week seven, it's like God. It's still and it's still going the group on. stage as well. That's yeah. the issue. Mm. And so many of those games are going to end up not really mattering. I, I think the format this time is actually... There's fewer extraneous games than there often are. But still, it's a really long slog. Um, and there's, there's something... I don't know. I, I and This is true of whatever sport. I hate a tournament where you could beat somebody comfortably in the group stage and lose narrowly in the final, and somehow you haven't won the tournament as a result. <laughs> that just seems fundamentally wrong. I think you shouldn't play the same team more than once in a... Ideally. Shouldn't play the same team more than once in the in the same tournament, mm. but the football World Cup was exactly the same. I, I find the five weeks of, of, a, of a football World Cup really exhausting and draining. Um, the one just gone was all right. Well, yeah, I, I actually had a really good time in Russia. It's the best of the four I've covered, but you know, I, I love international tournaments. I love doing the African Cup of Nations. I love doing the the Euros, but I loved them when they were sixteen teams, four groups of four, done in in three and a half weeks. That felt substantial, but not kind of just a slog. And you know, from a journalist's point of view, um, it's certainly a, a football tournament. I never, you know, I've never co- covered a cricket tournament, so maybe different. Uh, but a football tournament, when, when the tournament's on, you don't get a day off. You work sixteen, eighteen hours a day. You probably drink too much. You probably eat rubbish. You probably don't do any exercise. You sleep maybe four or five hours a night. You're constantly traveling around the country or countries. And you you end up by sort of week four being absolutely exhausted, probably ill, and you've run out of anything you, you ever had to say. You've written everything about the reserve right back of a team who's still in the semi final. <laughs> um, but in terms of like expanding I, the game I, I, and and so football, I think yeah, thirty two teams is just about justifiable, but it's going to go up to forty eight maybe for two thousand twenty two, but certainly by two thousand twenty six.
2: Whilst when cricket's knocking its tournament yeah, yeah. back so in they, terms of teams, but
1: they, they both I think ruined their their formats. Uh, but going opposite directions. Football, I think, has too many... Is going to have too many... It probably has too many teams in the World Cup now, but certainly will have by 2026. And the truth is that those 48 teams, some of them aren't, really aren't very good. And it's not just that, OK, only 8 or 10 have a realistic chance of winning it. That's fine. But of that 48 team, I suspect 8 or 10 don't even have a realistic chance of winning a game. And that becomes really problematic because the football becomes bad because that team then just sits back, sits deep... And and you know, it's it's not a it's not a proper contest. It becomes a, a very sterile
2: and a, um, spectacle. And of course, that's part of the argument from the ICC in reducing cricket's World Cup. But actually, we've seen more shocks in recent times than we have at any other point in cricket's history. With Scotland beating the number yeah. one side but in I, England I, I think, last summer. You
1: see, I, I think you can even get away with one or two no-hopers. I think that's that's fine. One or two is fine. Yeah, you don't want six or seven. You know, you. you you don't want a significant number of games in the first round being pointless. You can, you don't mind a couple of kind of real minnows, but the, the truth is that you know that there are a lot of good emerging nations who suddenly would would be denied the chance to see. And of course, yeah, the whole problem is the two thousand and seven World Cup and the fact that the minnows are actually too good, so they denied us the Pakistani yeah. mm. game we are supposed to have. Yeah, but
0: the. Um... With with the cricket World Cup, with any World Cup, you want to see shocks. Shocks are some, uh, often the most entertaining part of a World Cup. And by having a 10-team tournament, you kind of make it impossible to have a shock. So some people's, some people who might not be, uh, who might not follow the game as closely as others, might be surprised to see a really strong Afghanistan team pull a few surprises in the World Cup. But anyone who watched them the last year knows they're a really strong side. For them to beat Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, etc., that's not a surprise at all. It's almost expected nowadays. Um, and with the football World Cup just gone, it was great. And really excited because they were surprised in it. And we're not yeah. we're gonna have a
1: seven week tournament where we're unlikely to have any major shots. So there's also just I mean I, I know it happens much less now than it used to, but seeing plays you've you've never heard of, never thought of before. Well this world Cup, we, there's not gonna be anybody. Yeah. Yet. We're gonna know everybody, you know, it's compiling the, the, the squad guide before the tournament is gonna to be the easiest job. I mean, it'd be quite a dull slog <laughs> probably, but you're not gonna have those um who's he? I've never heard of him. And suddenly oh he's taken three wickets in the first yeah. hour of the first day. You know, it's yeah. Um and that's a real shame. But you're 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 denying that that chance for denying a Dwayne Lever discoveries. Yeah, exactly. Um it was, uh, Scott Murray, who writes for The Guardian, um has this great phrase of the uh Murdoch law of diminishing returns. So the nineteen eighty six World Cup, um Brazil uh, ended up calling up Jossimar the right back, at the last minute for um, uh, Branco, I think it was ruled out. And, you know, Jossamar in Brazil was kind of relevant. You know, he wasn't nobody. I think he played for Botafogo. He was a yeah, good right back. But nobody in the rest of the world had heard of him. And suddenly this, this guy appears who we've never heard of. And he's bombing up and down the right flank. He scored against Northern Ireland. He scored against Poland as well. And suddenly, I, mean, I remember, my, you know, I was what, nine years old at the time in the schoolyard in Sunderland, and everybody's kind of pretending to be Josimar. <laughs> and because of satellite TV, the Murdoch part of the the, uh, the the law, we see far more now than we used to. And so you, that type of surprise is, is you know, we would now know who Josimar was. But in cricket,
0: you, that is but, still but possible you, if you, you had associate nations at the World Cup. Sure, like-
1: and, and you're completely shutting yourself off if you remove the associate nations. So... Mm. It's, the balance is difficult I understand the balance is difficult but you, A you have to make money it has to be financially viable B you don't want the, the games to be farcically one sided because that's no good to anybody it's no good to the winning team the losing team the spectators but C you, you, you want to spread the game and you want to kind of create a World Cup as a sense of something different and new not just the same 10 teams that we see playing each other on a constant loop every, mm. every week
2: but
1: mm. um, yeah, the, 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 the four-yearly festival should be something a bit bigger than that. Well,
0: hopefully we'll be a bit more excited for the World Cup when it actually comes about. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm
2: looking forward to it. That doesn't mean we can't point out the flaws yeah, in it, though.
0: Yeah, true. I, I am excited by it, but well, it I'm is excited by the tournament. Man's field, so. <laughs> 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 um, we normally end the podcast by looking forward to something in the next week, but I think all three of us are all probably looking forward to this England West Indies series. I really like the timing uh, of, a, of a Caribbean tour. Game start at two, end around about ten. It's great to watch,
1: actually. Probably easy to watch. If you work at home, the two till ten game (laughs) is absolutely ideal. You can do your work in the morning. You can feel it. Yeah, I can. I can. I can have an hour off here. I've I've done my work. I've met my deadlines, and yeah, you can have it on all day. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. countries played in the West Indies, or South Africa. <laughs> Apart from the pitches. Yeah, a bit, yeah. Apart yeah,
0: from the pitches. Um, well, Jonathan, it was great to have you on. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, it was really me. enjoyable. Joe, thanks as always. Cheers. On. Yes. Um, well, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Tell your friends about it. Shout out about it. and
1: Podcast Network.